Um, we are today finishing up uh, our study through the Gospel of Luke, real people, real Jesus. Um, we believe both were real. We believe we are real and the people and the stories that we heard or that we see in, in the Bible, um, we believe those people were real and we believe that the person of Jesus was real and that he uh, transforms lives and changes lives. And I know for me, I'm a big Jesus guy, and I know that he has shaped me and changed me. And um, so I'm sad to be finishing this. As we did 24 weeks, I believe, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, and it has been, it has been beautiful. So, um, yeah, we today, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, we're going to finish in Luke 22 through 24. So if you have your Bibles, that's kind of where we're going to be hanging out. And not a whole lot of big stuff that happens in these, just the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the world. Um, but we will get through it, and we're going to have some fun. So there's a bunch of stories in here. There's a bunch of events. There's a bunch recorded in other Gospels that don't get recorded in Luke. Um, there's a ton in here. And so instead of trying to cover every single little event, what I'm going to do... Um, based off of the title of this series, Real Jesus, Real People, is I'm going to have us look at it through one of those real people uh, that was there during that last week, and his name was Peter. And for whatever reason, um, Peter shows up in almost every single story, every single event uh, in these last little bits. Not all of them, um, but a ton of them. And so I'm going to steal from the Gospel of John a couple of times to share some stories of Peter but primarily, we're going to take all the passages where Simon Peter shows up, and we're going to get to kind of see this last week of Jesus um, through, through his eyes to some degree. You cool with that? Yeah. Okay, that's what I've prepared, so we'll go with it. Um, yeah, if you've got your Bible, uh, we're going to be starting in Luke 22, 7 through 13. Uh, our reader for today will be Anita, so give her a little something. <laughs> And Anita, take it away. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. I love this story. Um, Jesus knows that there is a bit of a bounty on his head, that there are people that are wanting to take him out, and he is going to the very town in which he knows he will um, be taken. And so he sends maybe his two favorite, Peter and John. I don't know if he has favorites, if he's allowed to have favorites, but um, he, he, he obviously uses Peter and John a ton. But he sends them into town, into Jerusalem, and he says, hey, listen, when you get there, find the guy carrying a jug of water, follow him into his house, and then once you're in the house, go up to the master of the house and say, the teacher needs a place to have a Passover dinner, and he'll show you to the upper room. Astounding story. Um, here's what's crazy. Here's what here's what Peter uh, might have heard. 
uh, at this time in Jerusalem, because everyone from the far off places are gathering, we, we were guessing based off of the amount of lambs that were recorded that were sacrificed for these ceremonies. We're guessing there's probably close to 2.5 million people in Jerusalem at this time, 2.5 million. And it's not a big town. It's, it's a fairly small town to house 2.5 million people. So for Jesus to say, head into town and find the guy with the water jug, um, kind of an interesting story. But then I love how Luke records it. He says, and they found it just as he said it would be. Pretty cool. Let's keep rolling. This is in John. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am going to to do, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Well, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, that it was why he said, not all of you are clean. Philippians 2, 7 through 8 says, but he emptied himself. This is talking about Jesus, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, I I don't know of any other religion in the world that describes their king, their God, in this way that we see Jesus with a towel wrapped around his waist, washing the feet of his disciples. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know of another picture of any kind of deity that would empty himself this way to serve. I love, I love that term. He emptied himself. How? By taking on the form of humans. Isn't that interesting? When you think of, like, emptying, like if I were to pour this water out, it's, it's all leaving, right? It's, it's leaving the bottle. But how he emptied himself was he actually took on something else. He took on the form of humanity. Uh, that, that's really good for me to hear because oftentimes I can elevate myself, my own view of myself to a position of uh, I rule the castle kind of thing. And to realize that the very thing that God did to empty himself of his deity was took on humanness gives me a great picture of how amazing um, he is. I love Peter. Peter Jesus gets over to Peter and he starts getting ready to wash his feet. And Peter goes, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus goes, yeah, you don't maybe understand fully what I'm about, but yeah, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter goes, there's no way you're going to wash me. Absolutely not. And then Jesus says, well, if I don't, you can't have any part of me 
in what I'm doing. And Peter goes, well, then dump it on my head. <laughs> do whatever you got to do. I want, I want all of it. It's apparent that part of what, um, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, it's apparent that part of that uh, is not just a knowledge of believing in Jesus necessarily. Peter knew full well who Jesus was. Uh, it's Peter in the Gospels that declare, declares that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. And yet Jesus says, if you don't let me do this, you can't be a part of what we're doing. It's apparent that part of being a Christian is allowing Jesus to love you. Isn't that astounding? It's not just here. It's actually receiving the love of Jesus Christ that gets you home in part. Beautiful concept. Um, then he continues the Lord's Supper. He, uh, there's, there's, uh, he, he pulls out the communion elements, bread and wine, and he, and he hands this cup um, out to, to his disciples, and he calls it a new covenant. And, and he talks about what's going to be done and that his blood will be the sacrifice for many. And then um, all of a sudden, he, uh, he's sitting there and an argument breaks out amongst the disciples. And they're arguing, these 12 guys are arguing about uh, who's going to be the greatest, who is the greatest. And you can imagine our boy Pete uh, was right at the top of that argument and then these words come out of Jesus' mouth. Will you, will you keep going? And here, uh, Luke 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Uh, interesting. If you, if you look at those verses, Simon, Simon, uh, when Jesus says your name twice, it's important to listen. Um, but here's what's interesting is he uses this. This is the first time he uses his name Simon after he's changed it. Um, Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. Uh, Peter meaning the rock, and in this moment, he calls him Simon again. It's kind of interesting, huh? Um, another another uh, interesting thing to observe here is that Jesus prayed for Simon. Isn't that astounding? That this concept, we, we believe Jesus is God, uh, and, and that picture of God praying to God, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have a concept to grasp that, but what I do know is that Jesus knew what his calling was when he showed up on earth. And it was to be that intercessory peace between humanity and God. Part of that process was going to be him getting up on a cross, but some of that process was his intercession for humanity before the Father. Isn't that awesome? That's so cool. All right, let's keep going. Luke twenty-two forty-seven through 52. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, 
Would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw that what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? A lot, a lot in here. So they've now left that upper room where they were having dinner and they're now in the garden of Gethsemane. And um, Jesus, knowing full well, you, you hear Jesus a lot in, these end, in the end of the Gospels. He talks a lot about my hour has not yet come or now is my hour. He, Jesus was really aware of his timing of when he would be crucified. He was, he was really in tune with it. Uh, in order for him to be crucified at the hour in which the lambs, the sacrificial lambs at Passover would be crucified, would be slaughtered, um, he would need to be arrested at a certain time. And he knew that hour. And so this is that hour in which Jesus will get arrested. It's, it's maybe somewhere towards the middle of the night. Um, the reason he knew he had to get away to a remote place is uh, it says it in another gospel account, I think it says it in Mark, uh, is that um, the leaders, the chief priests and the leaders and Judas knew that if they arrested him in broad daylight in front of the people, there would be an outroar. Because a lot of people were very fond of Jesus at this time. Um, and so they had to arrest him by night in a remote place where very few would have seen this. And so this is where Jesus chooses to go. And then Judas shows up. Interesting thing about Judas is um, he was the treasury for the 12 disciples, for Jesus. Uh, the funds that supported Jesus's ministry, Judas was in charge of overseeing. Isn't that interesting? Jesus chose the thief of the group to be the one in charge of the money. Do you remember the story where the, the lady is, is putting perfume on Jesus and Judas says, what a waste of money. She, we could have given all that money away to the poor. And the gospel writer says, don't, don't be confused by Judas. He's a thief and he uses money that is given to us for Jesus' ministry on himself. And yet Jesus chose him as the treasure. So anyways, Judas is here. He's getting ready to arrest Jesus. And uh, it doesn't say it in Luke's account, but we know the person who pulls the sword out is Peter. And he swings and he chops the guy's ear off. And Jesus goes, let me get that for you. And he puts it back on. And it's a, it's a really good thing um, that Peter's aim was similar to Jerry Owens with an axe. Because, anyways, there was this axe competition a couple of days. Was it yesterday? When was it? Um, no, but it, isn't it interesting? Jerry, I love you, man. Come, can I give you a hug? We'll see in four years. Um, interesting, though, is, is this reality. I, I always find it particularly odd. They don't do anything to Peter. Like, he just chopped an ear off of a Roman general, probably, and they don't seem to mind. Like, they're like, we've got Jesus, we're good. We'll deal with the ear thing later. Like, they don't seem to care. And at the same time, 
they let Jesus perform a miracle amongst them and they don't seem to stop him. Like, you know that they've already got him. Like, and, and Jesus says, stop. And they all seem to listen to his authority. And he walks over to this guy and touches his ear and heals it. And they're like, no, nah, that's still not enough proof. Let's go take him. It's unbelievable when you think about this. Pretty crazy. Let's keep going. Then, G- then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was followed at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You've heard the story. You know, you know, you know this event. You, uh, you've seen it. You've pictured it in the courtyard sitting next to a fire. You've seen movies that have depicted it. I, I want to hone in on just, just a moment in it. Um, Peter standing by this fire and... A girl says to him, hey, don't you belong with him? Aren't you with him? And he's like, hey, listen, like, I don't even know the guy. Like, stop it. And then the rooster crows. And in that moment, for whatever reason, Peter lifts up his head and he looks at Jesus and Jesus is looking at him. It says, it says Jesus was looking at him. And, and I've read too much of God's word to, um, to expect that those eyes of Jesus would, would have said something like this. I, I think it's easy to think his eyes said, See, Peter, I told you so. And I, I know too well that that is not the person of Jesus. What I think he probably said was, with his eyes, Peter, I told you so. And um, I believe it says Peter remembered in that moment the things Jesus had told him. And I wonder for Peter if in that moment Jesus was saying, look, I'm still in charge. Like, it doesn't look like I'm in charge right now, but I told you this was going to happen. I'm still the big cheese right now. And remember what I told you, Peter. I said, you're going to deny me three times. And after you come to with what you've done, strengthen your brothers. Remember, Peter, I'm in charge. I I, I told you this was going to happen. Don't be afraid. I imagine those are the eyes in which Peter saw and it broke his heart. It broke his heart and he went out and he wept bitterly. I love this verse in 2 Timothy 2.13. What a beautiful testimony of this new covenant of Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says. 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. You see, that covenant he made that evening where he handed this cup 
across to Judas, who he knew would betray him in moments later. He handed that promise of faithfulness to that man, knowing full well within the hour that man was going to betray him. He handed that cup across the table to Peter, knowing that he would deny him. He handed that cup across the table to Thomas, knowing that Thomas would doubt him. There is some real beauty in this reality that the new covenant, the shed blood of Jesus, allows him to be faithful even when we remain unfaithful. Is that unbelievable? Then Jesus, um, after this point, he goes before the Sanhedrin, he goes before Herod, he goes before Pontius Pilate, he goes before the high priest, he goes before Pontius Pilate again, and the crowd chants, crucify him. And Pontius Pilate goes, I don't see anything wrong with him. And they say, crucify him even louder. And he goes, fine, he's yours, take him. And um, let's, let's read this next bit. Luke 23, 44 through 49. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. There's so many um, verses that describe those uh, hours of him on the cross and the things he said. Um, there's, depending on which gospel and whatever, there's, there's about a handful of words that Jesus says as he's hanging on the cross. And um, almost all of them are actually uh, a, a quote from Psalms 22. If you, ever, if you ever get the chance, read through Psalms 22. Jesus is snagging little bits from that uh, as, as his language as he hangs on the cross. And um, really, really interesting. Psalm 22 is actually a, a, a worship declaration to God. Interesting that Jesus in his darkest moment where he is taking on the sin of the world. Um, the words he says is, Lord, I, I hand my spirit over to you. I surrender to what you would do with me from this point on. And, and it's almost as though he's declaring it in an act of worship. Isn't that unbelievable? Like, it's remarkable. I, I so want that to be true of myself in those seasons of darkness, those seasons of pain, those seasons of confusion, that my first response would be to cry out and say, Lord, I know you're in control and I trust you with me. And that it would be coming from a place of declaration of his goodness in, in worship. That's, that's, that's the posture I want to have. I, I rarely do. It's also amazing that in this verse it says that the veil of the temple was torn. This is like one of the most significant realities that took place that day on the cross. Is that uh, what was once uh, a dividing wall between us and God, the presence of God, was now ripped in half from top to bottom. 
It is, it is amazing that the work of the cross allows you and I, who have put our trust in Jesus, to at any moment, at any time, be in the presence of God. Like, that is astounding. And that's what it says happened there. Can I get like an amen or a, come on, that's, that's big right there. That is a big deal. All right, let's keep rolling. Luke 24, 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Because we're in Luke, I I wanted us to read from the account of Luke. Um, But I love this little snippet in the Gospel of John, John 20, 4 through 8, that depicts Peter's experience at the tomb. So, Nita, will you read that? Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. One of the fun things that happens when you're studying uh, to preach is that you, you, you end up uh, spending extra long time with some of the words and looking at what the words are saying. And um, there's three times that it says they saw or he saw, uh, S-A-W. And all three of these in this verse are a different version of the word saw. Um, the first one, which is John, when he wants to make it very clear that he got there faster than Peter. Um, but when he says when he when he got there, he, he didn't go in, uh, but he saw the linen clothes lying there. The next one, uh, a little further down, Simon Peter, then following him, went straight into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And then further down, John decides he better go in, too. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he wants you to make sure you, you know that, also went in and he saw and he believed. Um, the first saw that, that John says, it's, it's, it's this picture of he ran there, he got there, and he looked at the tomb and he saw the reality that was sitting in front of him. There was no one in there, he just saw it. Um, you see this oftentimes, this is just the, probably the most common word for just normal sight. So on the miracles when Jesus would heal a blind person and they would now have sight and they could see, this is the word that would get used. They just now are seen. It's just a normal view of seeing. Uh, the second saw um, that, that Peter 
experienced. This is, this is a different word. And this word is much more where we get the word survey or theory. Um, and, and what Peter was doing was when he got in there, he was taking a look at what he saw and he was like, hey, this doesn't add up. Like, this is insane. Like the, the linen cloths, they, if, they, if they were going to take him, they wouldn't, they wouldn't take the linen cloths. They, they would keep him wrapped in that. You don't want to take a three-day-old dead guy naked, carry him away. And the, and the head cloth is folded. That doesn't make sense. Oh, my gosh, he's risen. It was this, it was this internal surveying of the situation. And John saw Peter, and John goes, i got to get in there. And it says John came in, and the type of scene that John experienced was a scene of believing. That's so cool. Even even at the beginning, remember, remember, uh, Jesus says, "Hey, when you've come to Peter, strengthen your brothers." Even just in Peter's first experience, the way that he observed and saw the cloths of Jesus caused John to go, "I got to get in that tomb." And the way then that John saw and believed is astounding. This word believed um, is, is the same word believe that, um, that we see in this verse, John two eighteen through 22. I want, Anita, will you read this for us? This is just a great picture of what just happened. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Hmm. It's the same belief we find in these verses as well. Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. After this moment, they go back to the house. It says Peter went back marveling at what he just saw. And then the next story we get is this story of two guys on the road to Emmaus and Jesus shows up and they don't recognize him at first. And he's like, hey, let me tell you a little bit about the Bible and all these stories that pointed to this guy named Jesus. And then he breaks bread and he feeds it to him. And it says immediately their eyes were opened and they recognized who he was. Right after this, they go back to the disciples to tell them what what they just experienced. And let's read these verses, Luke 24. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and, and why, do you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, 
and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Crazy little scene here. None of them have seen Jesus except for those two two guys on the road yet. And they're all sitting in this house. They're all kind of freaked out. Peter's already been to the tomb. And he's like, hey, he ain't there. I don't know what happened, but he ain't there. We're, I, think he, I think he rose. And they're all talking about it. And then it says Jesus appeared in the room. And his first words are peace. <laughs> like, no, I would be freaked out. You just showed up in the room. And as he's talking and telling them, it says they were still marveling at what they were experiencing. And he goes, hey, while you guys are still working on that whole thing about me being in here, you got anything to eat? <laughs> I love it. I love that the way Jesus comes at it is just such a, boys, I'm just, I'm just here. I'm back with you. You got anything to eat? Where's the fridge? You know, like, I just love it. And then it says that he literally opened their minds and fed it with the truth of the gospel, fed it with the truth of scripture, fed it with the prophets and the Old Testament, declaring that it all was pointing to him. And then some of the most profound words, for me at least, he says, um, I've just given you all the knowledge. You see me alive and well. Don't do anything until the spirit and the power from on high clothes you. Like, like you guys, like this is crazy. Like he just gave them all the knowledge they would ever need to declare the truth of the risen God. The co-creator of the universe has died and risen from the grave and they've seen him and they know all about it. And he says, don't do anything until the spirit comes. Wow. We teach the power of the cross. We teach the power of the resurrection. We teach those things so strong. I, I want us to teach the power of the Spirit in such strength and confidence. It was obvious to Jesus that they better not do anything until they had the Spirit. Isn't that incredible? I want a season of open door to come where a bunch of us are just leaning into the spirit and going, God, show us where to go. Show us what to do. We are leaning. We are waiting on your spirit to move us. Like there is true power in that. And Jesus says, hey, I don't want you doing anything until that happens. Isn't that crazy? So cool. So after that, this is then what Peter says. Go ahead. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon, Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. That's our boy Pete right there. 
Do you remember this story the first time? Um, Similar story, not the same story, but in Luke 5, we get this story. This is before Jesus has called his disciples. And we've got a group of fishermen, and they're out on the same sea, maybe even at the same spot, who knows. Um, But Jesus comes onto the shore, and he says, Hey, boys, have you caught anything tonight? And they say, No, we haven't. He says, How about you try throwing the nets out on the other side of the boat? And see what, see what happens. And they're like, seriously, we've been fishing all night. Like, okay. And so they throw the nets out, and sure enough, it's filled with fish. And in that moment, Peter realizes this dude out on the shore is a big deal. And he, when Jesus gets face to face with him, what does he say? He says, get away from me, I am a sinful man. Same story, three years later. Jesus is on the shoreline. Hey, boys, have you caught anything? No. How about you throw your nets out onto the other side? Okay. Throw their nets out and it gets filled up with fish. And John goes, it's him. It's the Lord. And what's Peter's response this time? He goes bonkers, right? He goes, I got to get to him. And for whatever reason, he puts his clothes back on And then he jumps in the water and he starts swimming to the shore to get face to face with Jesus. You see, that's what love does. It says in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been made perfected in love. Peter has experienced the love of Jesus Christ and he wants nothing else but to run face to face to him. Early on, before he knew this Jesus, he's like, stay away from me. I am a sinful man. And now he goes, oh, come on. I got to get to you as quickly as I can. Beautiful, beautiful. I, 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 say, I say this, he never needed you perfect. In fact, he knew you could not be perfect. That's why he became flesh and blood to pay for your imperfection. What he wants, he wants you to run to him, period. He wants you to be embraced by his love and he wants to free you from your sins against him. And then maybe my favorite verse in this section, uh, I'm going to read this one. It is John 21.9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire with fish laid out on it and bread. The only other other time in the Gospels that we see a charcoal fire is uh, in the court when Peter denies Jesus when he's standing over that charcoal fire. If I'm Jesus, I throw the same flavor wood on the fire because smells bring us back to the moment that we remember. I'm really into wood right now. My favorite is like a mesquite. Um, If I was Jesus, I mean, that's like what I would do. But can you imagine Peter gets on the land and he sees the fire and immediately, where does his mind go? Back to that courtyard. And then this is what Jesus does. Will you read it for us? When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. If you get time, we won't spend time today because we're, we're running out of time, but um, go look at these words, love. Just look up the words love in here. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, they get interchanged with phileo and agape and they go back and forth. It's really an interesting conversation in there. Go check it out for yourself. I'll give you a little homework assignment. Um, but what, what, is, what is Jesus doing right now with Peter? Um, there's no coincidence that he asks him three times since Peter denied him three times. But what he is doing is he's forgiving him, he's restoring him, and he is releasing him. And that is the beauty of this story. The whole story of the gospel is a that a Savior came to earth to forgive you of the sins that you have committed, past, present, and future, so that you could be restored to your rightful place as child of the king and so that he could release you to be a part of his mission and his purpose to restore the world back to where it began. And that is the beauty of the gospel. And that is what uh, we call, we have a word for it that we use. It's called grace. It is this undeserving gift that Jesus did that does not define us by our past mistakes, but in the midst of it defines us by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross so that he can use us for his kingdom and his purposes to save many. And that is what Peter gets to do. Not more than 45 days later, Peter will be standing on the steps in front of thousands and he will declare the truth of who Jesus Christ is, the risen savior of the world, and thousands will come to know him and trust him and be saved and be filled with the spirit and clothed from on high. And this thing spreads like wildfire from there on out. Isn't that unbelievable? It's the greatest story ever told. There's not a, there's not a more wonderful, powerful story ever recorded in history. And so we can thank Luke um, for his work in doing it. And that's what I'd love us to do. Can we, can we just take, um, I'd love to take just two, two minutes, maybe two or three of us from this body um, out loud. Would you just thank the Lord for this gospel account of Jesus Christ? It's the most thorough account that we have. And it is a beautiful depiction of who Jesus Christ really is. Will, will you pray with me and thank the Lord um, for Luke and for this gospel? They call it good news, Lord, and it surely is. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your cross. We thank you for this new covenant of promise of forgiveness of sins that is done through the shedding of your blood. I don't know how you did it that night when you handed that cup to Judas. I don't know how you did it that night when you handed it to Simon Peter, but you did it. And uh, Lord, you did it for me. And you did it for a bunch of us in this room. Uh, we were your enemies and you 
handed us that cup of love. And so we take this bread and we take this cup today in a declaration that your faithfulness is stronger than anything else, that is stronger than our lack of faith, that is stronger than any other power in the universe. Your faithfulness remains and the cross was enough. And we we stand as firm as we can on that truth and that reality. We love you, Jesus, and we give you this day. And this worship is for you. In Jesus' name, amen.